Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory, where myself, Craig Stout, and Matt Lane all get together, talk about last week's game, look ahead to next week's opponents, and it's not really a week that any of us really want to be talking about last week's game. Very rough performance for the Chiefs, ultimately losing 29-28 to the Los Angeles Chargers at home on Eric Berry Day, on Tony Gonzalez Day, on Thursday night football, at home, on a night where they could clinch the division and would have clinched the one seed after the result of the Patriots-Steelers game. Um yeah, that was a mouthful. Sorry, I just I had to go there. Um, it was it was a bad it was a bad game, and it was it was very frustrating for anybody watching that game that's probably listening to this podcast because you're a hardcore cheese fan. Um, I I have a lot of opinions on this game. I know Craig and Matt do too. We're gonna ask them. We're gonna ask Matt about Eric Berry. We're gonna ask Craig just about the defense as a whole. Wanted to talk real quick about Patrick Mahomes. Um, I. I thought, you know, I thought there was a lot of redeeming qualities about his performance. Um, I thought that there was just a real rough stretch in the second half when the Chiefs really needed him to kind of step up that he wasn't his best. Um, And we'll be writing about that on Thursday on Arrowhead Pride. If you go back and kind of watch the, I think it was the last touchdown drive of the of the game for them, where they were. they were driving, and uh, Patrick Mahomes. I think he. Had, I think he just had some inconsistencies. One time, the ball comes out of his hand while he's kind of like almost in between, you know, decision on who to throw to. Just kind of throws it into the ground, and then um, tries this RPO, tries to sidearm a throw to Chris Conley in tight coverage on an RPO, and throws Damian Williams out of bounds on a swing route. Um, it was just kind of like this. It, I just got this like ominous feeling about like how things were kind of going to be going, I guess, and. Um, it, it kind of manifested itself. I think, you know, I think they really struggled to, to put that drive together. They were lucky to score on that drive, got bailed out by some penalties. Pat did ultimately step up and make a couple throws that were really impressive, but overall, um, you know, I think it just wasn't enough for the kid and that's, that's, that shouldn't be an indictment on him. Um, I don't want to say that and think, you know, like that we should be blaming Patrick Mahomes or anything. Um, he's been more than enough for this team for such a long stretch, uh, this season that you you just need to be fair to him, but, um, acknowledge that. I mean, in this particular situation, Phillip rivers, you know, finished stronger than him and, and that's okay. That's not going to be the norm for the rest of his career. Patrick Mahomes has been exceptional this year and deserves every bit of credit that he's getting. So, um, just, you know, hopefully this week he bounces back. And hopefully that's enough for this team to go out and 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 make a statement, get right back on track, and, and clinch this one seat at home against Oakland. 
Um, regardless of whatever every other team does, this team is still the one seed, still well positioned. If they can win these next two games, they're the one seed and they control their own destiny. We'll bring Matt on here shortly to talk about EB. We'll talk to Craig after that, and then we'll answer a lot of fantastic questions, probably the best batch of questions we've ever got on the AP mailbag. Time to bring on Maddie Lane. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matt, have you recovered from watching that game on Thursday yet? Barely. Man, I didn't want <laughs> anything to do with NFL football all weekend. It took me until Monday watching Drew Brees' MVP candidate fumble around <laughs> before I finally felt good. But in all seriousness, now I just drowned my sadness into watching uh, draft prospects. And also protein shakes, but uh, we won't go there. Um, so, Maddie, we we had you watch Eric Berry this week. Uh, obviously, like we would be really dumb to not have someone really covering Eric Berry. No, don't and, make uh, me watch Eric Berry. That's I fought back oh, with that. Bummer. It's like a rarity. It's like a unicorn. You've only got to watch it once in the last thirty games. But I digress. Um, what did you take away from watching Eric Berry this week? So, Eric Berry compared to the Chiefs current safeties is like Kansas City barbecue, which can't called overrated right before we started this. I just gotta let everybody I, know. But Eric Berry is like your favorite Kansas City barbecue. And then the Chiefs safeties is like a ham and bologna sandwich. So it's like not even in the same <laughs> food category. That's how different the so, safety so, play is. So it's something I would order at a barbecue restaurant then, right? Is that I'm what you're saying? I'm glad you said it and I didn't have to. Uh, I'm telling the jokes for you, buddy. Thank you. Um, what was the what was the most surprising thing you saw from Eric Berry this week? I mean, I think it's just the mental acuity. Just everybody's when they're injured and stuff like that. You always hear about mental practice reps and stuff like that. But I mean, it was pretty evident that Eric Berry is still seeing the game and processing it at a just fantastic elite level for a safety. Even not just comparing it to the Chiefs' current safeties on the roster, he just sees things so fast that there's barely a split second between the like when I'm breaking down the tape, I can pause it, put it in slow motion, and like actually pinpoint something. He's seeing this stuff maybe a fraction of a second after I am getting to go in slow motion, and he's out on the field. So it's just crazy mm-hmm. how fast he's able to identify something and then flip that switch from reading to reacting and actually starting to close. So he just plays at a different speed, not just physically, but mentally and everything. And then besides that, he's physical. He actually tries on a play to go hit somebody, whether it's a blocker, whether it's a ball carrier, whether it's going to find the ball. Like He's actively trying to do something, and that's just a huge changeup for the Chiefs' safeties since we benched Jordan Lucas. Novel concept there. Um, real quick, yes or no? You don't have to give me a long answer, but mm-hmm. if Eric Berry played four quarters, do the Chiefs win? Yes, there's that big of a difference between what he is and what else we saw that game and the whole year that, yeah, I think that he comes up with a stop somewhere along the way that changes that game. Fair enough. And I totally 100% agree. Um, one more question for you. Just wanted to get a quick idea of the, uh, of the uh, Seattle Seahawks defense. What do you see from them uh, moving forward for this big game on Sunday? The Seattle Seahawks have a good defense. They have good team speed all around. The issue for them is they are still pretty much that same Seattle-style cover three. When you get a good offensive mind that knows how to get players to execute, you really can damage a team that's going to be so predictable on defense. They've mixed it up a little bit more in the past couple of years, but they still rely so heavily on that just that same cover three. 
that I kind of think this is a game that Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, especially knowing they need it, might come out and have a pretty big game compared to what most people think just based on that predictability of the Seahawks defense. So uh, you're feeling pretty good about this game then? I do feel pretty good. I understand that Seattle's going to play very hard at home coming off a loss, but the thing is the Chiefs are also coming off of a loss against a divisional opponent. They are going to play hard too. It's not like the Chiefs are out here playing for nothing and the Seahawks are playing for everything. (laughs) Both teams are going to try. The Seahawks are a good, not great team, and only great teams have beat the Chiefs this year, and they've still all been close. I understand the history making Kansas City Chiefs fans worry, but everybody just needs to relax a little bit. This Chiefs team is a good football team. They don't lose. They don't get blown out to average to good teams right now. They lose the good, very, very good teams, and I'm not sure the Seahawks are playing at that level right now. That's Matty Lane. Find him on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. We'll bring him back on for the mailbag in a minute. Time to bring on Craig Stout. Find him on Twitter at Barley Hop. Um, I don't know how many more weeks Craig is going to be with us after having to watch this defense. How are you feeling, buddy? Man, uh, you might want to put a watch out on me or something like that. Bob is Bob is really testing my patience. I think he <laughs> forgets that I was one of his few supporters going into this season and here we got to go week after week with this stuff i was with you man like i was cautiously optimistic about the personnel like i thought they might be able to piece this together but everything just looks completely out of place speaking of out of place uh the defense you did you wrote like a, a absolutely killer article this week um what were your overall takeaways of the defense well, in the first half, when the Chiefs had Eric Berry, we got to see kind of what we'd been talking about all year long. We've been saying that once the Chiefs got Barry back into the fold, that they would be a, a sort of mental step up. Uh, he'd be able to help align players and kind of get guys to where they needed to be. And while it would be noticeable outwardly a little bit, you know, especially for somebody like myself who's charting every single defensive snap, I didn't expect it to be as noticeable as it was this week. He's screaming and yelling at dudes, shoving people around, shifting alignment on about a third of his snaps this week. It was a major difference, and it makes us all wonder what they've been doing for the previous 13, 14 weeks out there in the secondary, in the fronts. If this one guy can come back in a half of football and play like this, get him lined up, hold him to just a touchdown in the first half, force three stops, and then he comes out and the Chargers score three times, convert a two-point conversion right at the end of the game. Twice they score in the last four minutes of the game when the Chiefs couldn't come up with a stop. It was night and day. We got to see them side by side with each other. Got to see what it looks like when they have an actual functional, not a good defense, but a functional defense, and then what we've been seeing for the rest of the year in the second half. I feel like it's just like a huge indictment on a lot of guys. It's a huge indictment on Bob Sutton. It's a huge indictment on Al Harris and Emmett Thomas. It's a huge indictment on Ron Parker. It's a huge indictment on everyone, it feels like. I mean, is, is that fair? That That's absolutely fair. I, I said in my post, while this may not have been the worst defensive performance of the year that still belongs to the Oakland game from a couple weeks ago, this is the worst look 
for that coaching staff of any game this year. This one guy just stepped on the field coming off of an injury. Granted, he's been in the building, but he hadn't played football more than three quarters in two years, and he steps on the field and is directing traffic like a crossing guard to get guys where they needed to be, where the coaching staff can't teach them how to do that as it is. That's horrific on their part. They they that just a complete failure. And then on top of that, the effort level all game long Ugh. after Eric Berry was abysmal. There's a Dan Sorensen tackle where he's got a guy held up and there's three Chiefs just standing around watching the running back drag Dan Sorensen for another four yards. It's 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 awful. It's a bunch of guys that are playing like they're two and eleven rather than they were eleven and two at the time. It it's it's abysmal. I don't know what more to say. It just makes you wonder like what's going on from Monday to Saturday. Like you just see you see how much I mean Eric Berry was visibly frustrated just furious like I've never seen someone so mad trying to correct stuff in the red zone and then you just, you just wonder like what is happening between games like there's is there accountability is there I mean are they like what kind of preparation are they get going through what kind of accountability do they have to for their preparation like there's just it just seems like a huge disconnect between what's happening on saturday or monday through saturday and and what's we're seeing on like i don't know i'm I'm furious i uh, me too me too it it makes me angry every time i talk about it every time i've I've watched it every time i've written about it this (laughs) this week i i didn't i really didn't want to get back into it because of that accountability that lack of effort and everything like that no you're good we're here to talk about it let's let's get it out let's be (laughs) cathartic about it but it is there is no accountability and it just barry stepping on the field and being the guy to force that accountability maybe the only guy him and justin hamilton apparently are the only two guys on this team that are accountable or holding other guys accountable to this point. And it's overshadowing some awesome efforts like guys like Chris Jones. Chris Jones was phenomenal on Thursday, and we're not talking about him at all because of how poor the defense finished and all these flaws that they showed with Barry off the field. Craig, we'll probably wind up talking about this more here on the rest of the show, but give me one quick tweet length uh, quote about the Seahawks offense. Uh, they like to run zone read. They've run it more than anybody else in the NFL, but they're not necessarily as dynamic with it as the Ravens are. And they use a lot of tackle eligible. They bring in George Fant a lot as an extra tackle, both in the pass and in the run in the middle of the field. That's not a short yardage thing. They just bring him in because they are not a great pass blocking and run blocking team. So they'll sacrifice a tight end, bring in another tackle a lot of the game. Find him on Twitter at Barley Hop. Craig, let's just jump right into that mailbag with uh, with Maddie here. And we will get to the mailbag here in a second, but uh, Maddie is calling an audible. He's throwing a curveball at us. Neither me or Craig have any clue what he's about to do. So if this fails, it is all his fault. Maddie, the the floor is yours, my friend. All right, gentlemen, we're gonna play a nice little prediction game. So I'm gonna read you what this possible stat line for Patrick Mahomes is, and you're gonna tell me the score of the upcoming game. He's gonna go okay. 23 of 35. 
It's about 66 completion percentage, 203 yards, one interception, and takes two sacks. What's the score in the Chiefs-Seahawks game? <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Um, it's, it's a loss, Matthew. It, it is a loss. I think they, they only scored 10 points. Okay, well, 10 points is actually less than the New Orleans Saints just scored when Drew Brees did that exact same thing, but they won the game 12 to 9. That's like they have a much better defense than the Chiefs, Matt. That's your MVP ESPN endorsement team. It's it's almost like uh so I I watched that game and I saw a, a third and 15 and uh, I think I saw a couple third longs, and all the Saints did was just flip a little screen to Al Kamara. Didn't even let their there MVP quarterback six, try to create something. Six straight plays that I saw that were the passing plays where Drew Brees threw the ball less than two yards downfield. It was like a swing pass, a screen, a screen, and then a check down, a tight end flat route. Like it was the most embarrassing short passing game I had ever seen for your supposed MVP when they were losing the game at the time. That's what they were doing. And it's not like the New Orleans Saints have a bad offensive line. Oh, no, they're one of the top ones in the league, especially at pass protection. We're just out here with 65% completion percentage with an interception and no touchdown. Two interceptions, they just don't count once on two-point conversions. I just love that we get to throw shade at that after getting done with the quarterback and the offense that we just got done with for the last four years. (laughs) I'm I'm giving Maddie credit on that audible. That was delightful. Thank you. Good, good job, Matthew. I told you it had good, to be done good. this week. No, yeah, good. That was that was nice. Um, let's jump into the mailbag. We got a lot of questions, and we're gonna try to get through as many as we can. Literally, this was the best week of questions. Every week's really really good. This week was just insane. Like we had to cut some phenomenal questions. Maybe we'll save them for next week if they apply. At P Flum asks, what player on this roster? has been your biggest disappointment this season? And also, who has been the biggest surprise, good or bad, not named Patrick Mahomes? Just give us the best good surprise and give us the biggest disappointment. The best good surprise is Chris Jones, losing the weight, uh, developing as a defensive player. He's been outstanding, top three defensive player in the NFL in my book. And then biggest disappointment is Anthony Hitchens for me, easily. He's not looked great they're not putting him in the best chance to succeed either they're spending a lot of money for a guy that's a downgrade from last year's terrible inside linebackers i think my biggest surprise is d ford i always thought there was a chance for him to be really good but just seeing it all come to fruition at this exact moment in time and like we talked about all year i don't think it's a fluke or him trying harder for a contract year i think he's just got a really good coach in mike smith right now He's putting the game together and finally executing it up to his skill level. So he's been my biggest surprise just seeing how dominant he's been. And then the biggest disappointment has to be Tano Passanio for me. I really thought, especially after seeing him at training camp, like he was on the verge of getting snaps. He was going to see especially pass rushing snaps. He used his arms really well. He seemed to have a good pass rush plan. He gave Mitchell Schwartz problems when we were at training camp watching them practice. And this guy just can't buy snaps during games anymore. It really looks like he may be on the way off his team, not even just buried on the bench. So my biggest surprises this year, I I say, you know, credit to Austin Ryder and Andrew Wiley for what they've done to this point. I think they've shown that they can be solid pieces on an interior offensive line at a, at a reasonable price. And, you know, I think that's a you know good find by Brett Veach. Biggest disappointment is the entire 2018 NFL draft class. 
and I'm just I'm still like it, maybe it's I'm disappointed in what Brett Veach did so like credit to Brett Veach for finding interior offensive line but I'm just still just just confounded by did you what, have high uh, hopes what, for that draft class though after you saw it do what? Did you have high hopes for that draft class no, after you saw it, though? No, but I just really wanted to be wrong. Okay. Like, the shade at Derek Naughty right now. That is it's true. Unbelievable. Naughty Dude. has been quite solid when he's not jumping offsides. Yes. Derek Naughty, yes. He's been very good on first and second down, and that's all you're getting out of him. You traded up to the top 76 picks for a guy that's really only giving you productivity on first and second down, Breland speaks, you traded up into the top 50 for him and Dorian O'Daniel has struggled to get onto the field. It took him a while to actually get integrated and he's just, I mean, he's a situational player still. So I'm still, I'm not, I didn't have high expectations. I was just, I'm still just, I, there was better value on the board and it's just infuriating with how bad the defense has been that they're just, they still frustrate me. At Darren D. Piggott asked, is the offensive line low-key becoming a problem that uh, Pat can't always mask? Yes and no. I think this is kind of the worst-case scenario for the Chiefs and the fact that Andrew Wiley has played very good this year, but you started to see in this game how teams are able to take advantage of him when he's not getting help like he had been in the past. And we like to crush Cam Irving for kind of starting to fall back into what everybody thought of Cam Irving leading into the year. But the fact was the Chiefs could trust him one-on-one against most players. Yeah, Aaron Donald's beat him up pretty bad. But anybody that's kind of short of that level by a tier or two, Cam Irving could hold his own most of the time by himself. So now you're kind of in this weird spot where Morse has to help both sides. It just it started to become a little bit more of an issue. I'm not concerned long-term, though. Once Irving's back, or even if he's not, I think Jeff Allen's good enough. I think Wiley's been good enough. And this is assuming you don't get LDT back. So there could be more help on the way. And at the end of the day, I mean, the offensive line just needs to gel together a little bit more. So we'll see what happens going forward. But the tackles are still playing good, and that's kind of the biggest thing at this point in time. I mean, they've got a Pro Bowl tackle. It's just not the one that we thought. And now, it's not they, the actual they, Pro Bowl. It's the not the actual the Pro Bowl tackle in Mitchell Swartz. Uh, Eric Fisher made it this year. But th- they've done well uh, substituting in a lot of backups this year. I mean, they, they've gotten down to their 7th and 8th offensive linemen a lot this year. So that speaks kind of to what they've been able to do so far. Naturally, there's going to be some fall off. I mean, getting getting to go up against tough Ravens and tough Chargers defensive lines there. They got a little beat up. So uh, I don't know that we can necessarily take away major things from the past two weeks trying to cycle in all these guys. Like Matt said, once Cam Irving's back, maybe it solidifies a little more and people get more in their comfort zones. And we start to see Matt or Pat get in his comfort zone too. Yeah, I don't think it's an insurmountable thing for what they're facing right now. And I think that the the depth has been tested. And that is a credit to Brett Veach and what he's done with the, you know, piecing some of these guys together and keeping a lot of offensive linemen around. Um, at Sports Talk, Kevin says, can we get one sneak peek at your draft miss list? Just one name to hold us over until the offseason would be great. Um, so, yeah, no, we'll all just give you a guy that we like. If you remember what the draft miss list is, it's a, basically a list of players that we all think would fit the Chiefs and that we really like and would love to see on the Chiefs. We may actually rebrand draft miss list. There's, we're still kind of figuring stuff out about that, but um, I'll just start. I here's a there's a guy from Delaware 
safety named Nasir Adderley. Um, I, I've watched, I put on one of his games. Like I haven't given him like a full grade or anything, but I can just tell with this guy, watch one game. I'm, I'm really going to like this guy. He's going to be a guy I'm going to be kind of touting the same way. I probably was touting Jesse Bates last year. Um, I real fluid in coverage, pretty good athlete. I think he's, I think he's above average athlete. Actually. I think he's going to test really well. Um, willing to stick his nose in there. Um, I, he's a guy that I think can play, you know, ver, be a versatile safety to, to kind of the way that the chiefs like to utilize their safeties. I think he'd be a good fit. Um, I, I would imagine he's probably a, a top two round pick guy when it's all said and done. I could very easily see him in the top 64. So I'm going to stick with a school that's maybe not as well known as some others. We're going to go to Temple for cornerback Rock Yasin. So not Woo! only does he have probably the yes, best sir. name in this entire draft, the man's a big physical cornerback. He's about 6'2", only weighs about 190, 195 right now. But he was actually quite the successful and extremely good wrestler in high school. He won, I think, two state championships. And that shows up. Rock Rock! Okay, we're going we're gonna to gloss that over. Uh, he won two state championships, and you can see that on the field. When he gets his hands on a receiver off the line of scrimmage, these guys aren't going anywhere. He's physical. He plays up in their body. But then when he has to turn and run, I mean, his hips aren't stiff. He can turn. He can run. And he's shown the ball skills against the biggest competition he played this year against that's UCF and then Buffalo. He showed out in both games. I think he had a combined two interceptions in those games, although one of them was on a two-point conversion, so it doesn't count. It's just he's great when you play him. He's physical at the line of scrimmage. He'll come up and make tackles, but he's also not a guy that's limited to just being a press corner. He just likes to play there. He's got the athleticism to play anywhere. You're looking at him as of right now before testing, and everybody gets to really dive in probably in the second round. But if he goes out and runs with a rumored 4-4 at that size, there's a good chance he could start climbing the draft boards at that point in time. So we just kind of got to see how he tests in Indy come combine time. Yeah, my guy is out of the SEC, Georgia edge defender DeAndre Walker. Uh, he weighed in about 240, 6'2". He's a very long player. He's got good build. He could probably put a little more weight on and not have to lose too much speed. Uh, he does have good explosiveness. I know there were some questions going into the season. He, I, From the games that I've watched this year, he's very explosive. He's got good hand work. He's able to set the edge well against the run. The way that Georgia runs their edge players, they're not necessarily downhill really attacking they play more contain and he does that really well and yet he still is able to put up good sack numbers good tackle for loss numbers he can bend a little bit he can get to the edge a little bit we know what georgia does with their three four outside linebackers have had a pedigree a lot of success bringing guys to the nfl he is a little bit raw but i do think that he's got enough football iq and ability to where you can put him under mike smith and you might be able to develop him into a really really stud pass rusher right now he's another round two guy but he did blow up and he played really really well against Alabama in the SEC championship game his his stock might be rising a little bit boy if we came up with those three guys from this draft even having to reach for one in the first round I would feel fantastic I think uh I think all three of those guys are uh, at the uh senior bowl this year aren't they guys huh as of right huh. now Wonder who else maybe. Is be there. Uh, I wonder who else will be there. I don't know. 
we'll see uh we're gonna have just trust me i'm so excited for you guys to see our uh, our draft content this year it's gonna be insane i i'm geeked out we're trying to holding some stuff back and we'll make some big announcements here in the next couple months uh you might have just got a, a little hint there uh at keith mclean 78 our guy asks uh chargers loss was it an aberration due to the short week or an omen of playoff disappointment to come so I'm not sure the short week played a big role in it, but I do think it's a little bit more of an aberration. I think the Chargers are a, a high-quality football team. They're probably up there in what I'm going to call the second tier of the AFC. I still think the Chiefs are by themselves in the top tier. I know they just lost, but I think the Chiefs played a very B-minus kind of game, and they still lost on the last-second two-point conversion. I'm okay with that, even though it was kind of hard to take in at the time. So Chargers are a good team. The Chiefs didn't play their best football. Part of that is a few injuries, and every team has injuries right now, so I don't want to hear excuses about how the Chargers didn't have their playmakers either. Chiefs are also <laughs> missing guys as well. It's just they didn't play their best game, and that's okay. That's going to happen. You'd rather have it happen now than later in the season. I think there were coaching issues in the first half. I think there were defensive coaching issues throughout the whole year, I mean game, and just <laughs> little stuff like that. So I think it gets fixed. I think it was more of a one-week thing rather than a something to dread going into the playoffs. Yeah, I strong agree with that. I do think that the Chiefs are going to be able to uh, continue to hold down the number one seed throughout the course of the year. If they do have to play the Chargers again, I do think this is a completely different game. A little more rested squad again. And with the Chargers having to come off of playing a game the week before, I think the scheme is better. Even with the Chargers' weapons back in the lineup, Eric Berry getting to play all game long. Everybody, you know, clicking a little bit better than they did this week. I, I just think that this week was more of an aberration than it was a true tale of how the season's gone. Maddie said B minus game. I'm not even sure it was a B minus, honestly. Like, yeah, I, thought I think was, that's I a little the, high too. Yeah. I thought the offense was rough in the second half. Um, at his darkness, our guy jumping into the mailbag. Uh, We've made I love this question. Love this question. Bigger error in judgment. Chiefs not introducing Eric Berry and the defense or Andy's feel uh, Andy's fourth and three punt. Um, so I I didn't hate oh, the man. fourth and three punt as much. <laughs> the the third and three call was just so gross. Like I just I don't I I. I Feeling that feeling that vibe from that play, I kind of understand. I think a little bit why Andy didn't do it. Uh, it's, it's kind of an unpopular opinion, so I'll go with Eric Berry. All right, so we got a little mini tangent coming, but first we have to say, Oh God, Dirk, I'm can surprised we you could get us a question. As buff as you are, that keyboard must be hard to reach, man. So thanks for working <laughs> that out with your buffness. I I wasn't ready for that when I met you, but uh. The biggest mistake of the entire game was punting the football for absolutely no reason. The Chargers finally are coming off. They have a little bit of, not even momentum, just the Chargers are starting to feel like they can do a little bit of something. They're thinking, okay, maybe they have a chance. The Chiefs have the ball in their territory. The Chargers have shown no reason to be able to stop the Chiefs up to this point in the game. And then they get a, I'm not going to call it lucky, but there was a relatively physical pass breakup that didn't have a penalty attached to it, which is a lot more than the one just called on Dan Sorensen. We're going to let the Ugh. bad refereeing go. Now you're at this point where you're Andy Reid. You punt the ball back to the Chargers no matter where you pin them. You just gave their offense and defense and consecutive drives a reason to think they're in this game. 
you just 100% said, oh, hey, guys, you scored, then got to stop. You are now back in this game no matter what happens. I think Reed 100% let them back in. Worst case scenario, they stop you there, and they have the exact same amount of momentum. They just start with the ball farther, closer out to midfield. But the chances at that point of the Chiefs picking up three yards, to me, seem almost like a slam dunk. And then you at least lock in a field goal at that point in time. I just, I couldn't believe we punted the ball there. That seems so out of left field for what Andy Reid had done all year. Didn't yeah. they, real quick though, didn't they use all that runway that they wound up having the Chiefs or have the Chargers drive to and ultimately turn that ball over though? I mean, yes. hindsight, like I think process, I understand like it, this is a process question more than it is a result question, but I mean, they did wind up turning that ball over and I just hate it. I, the, the third and three call was just so bad and like it just, I, I don't know. I I digress. But that was like I, the we gotta, first we play keep the Chargers defense. It was just that was the first play the Chargers defense did something good, and then you immediately follow that up with conceding the ball back to them without trying. Like I just didn't think that was the best way to manage the players' feelings and confidence level at that point in the game. And yeah, the Chargers turned it over, but they still took what seven minutes off the clock and kind of forced the Chiefs into a two-minute drill once they did get that turnover because they just drove the ball all the way down the field. I, don't, I mean, right. you, you've got to step on their necks if you're the Chiefs offense. You, you know what's on the other side of the ball there. Even with Eric Berry, they're not a good defense. So you know what you're giving the ball back to. The stops are rare. They're not happening very often. Why would you put your defense back out there and give that momentum like Matt said? Go for it. If if you give them a shorter field, hey, guess what? They're probably going to drive down the other end of the field anyway. Go for the cutthroat instinct. Try and try and beat them because if they score there, if the Chiefs score there, then you're going to kill any amount of momentum that the Chargers did have, and then they've got to come out of the half and try and do something there. Basically, what you guys are saying is I'm a coward, and that's okay. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> at uh, at fraternity at law, is it just me or is Jeff Allen an upgrade over Cam Irving, Matthew? I do not think so. I think Jeff Allen needs a lot more help to look almost as good. And while I think he's a pretty good kind of linear blocker, Cam Irving hasn't been bad at that for a guy that's touted as like high movement skills, which he does have. He's blocks with power better than he blocks in space. So really at this point in time, Jeff Allen was just a guy that is pretty technically sound, but he needed a lot more help from Morse, I think, than Cam Irving gets on a play-by-play basis. So I would rather have Cam Irving out there, even with the unfortunate holding calls that happen every now and then. I just think he's been a better player throughout this year than Jeff Allen was his last game and a half. For sure. And, uh, you know, with Mitch Morse having to shift help more often to Jeff Allen than than Wiley, whereas before with Cam Irving, like Matt said earlier, they could leave him one-on-one. That that speaks volumes as, as to how they feel about Jeff Allen versus Cam Irving as well. So, yeah, it's Cam. 100% agree. I don't even need to add anything to that. That's exactly right. Um, at Brandon422 asks, who blew the coverage assignment on the two-point conversion against the Chargers? Uh, I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, you know, it's a situation where uh, they they went back and forth. Both both Fuller and Skandrick went back and forth discussing 
what they were going to do. And even just before they snapped, they turned and they, you know, kind of did the, the wrist bump, you know, crossing with each other, signaling that they were going to banjo or switch. Now, they haven't done it all year long. I've, I've been furious about it all year long because they've been getting screened and picked and guys are behind the play because of it. But it looked like that was the call. Fuller switched. Skandrick didn't. And then the the wide receiver was one, running wide open. And actually, at the end of the play, you can see Fuller turn to Skandrick, and he is furious with it. But there was a lot of conversation before the play. So I don't know what it was that the two of them actually said to each other, but obviously one of them thought that they were switching, and the other one didn't. So, and if that's the issue, then that has to fall back on coaching to me. If you have two guys that just are completely unsure what to do in that situation, yeah, I can buy it if all year these guys have been technically sound and somebody just got confused in the moment. But we've seen little coverage mix-ups and not exactly like Craig said, we haven't really done much switching. But if you just have a coverage mix-up here and there, it's one thing. But to have it as much as we do this year and then to see it again there, just these guys are not ready for all the calls and adjustments they need to make on the fly. So the fact that these two guys are sitting there discussing it before the play starts just shows that they're not prepared. And I don't think Skandrick's a professional. He's been around the league for a while. He's a veteran. Kendall Fuller is a guy that has been touted as a guy that works hard. There's no reason to think that neither one of these guys are capable of learning a defensive system and knowing the calls. So the fact that they don't, that has to come from that has to go deeper than just the players at that point in time. Why not burn a timeout there? Uh, honestly, if you're not sure what you need to do on that play, why not burn a timeout there? They had one left. I, that it's inexcusable, I, especially since that basically was the last play of the game. There was four seconds left on the clock. What are they going to use that timeout for? Like, we'd rather use our timeout I mean, to stop the Chargers from taking a delay game play before. <laughs> <laughs> At displaced chief, why do our corners so rarely play the ball? Is it because they're always a step behind, or uh, is the hand in the face, or on the arm? Uh, are they actually being taught to kind of ch- you know uh, play the ball? Like, what is it? I think we discussed this a little bit earlier in the year, and it's just more evident now. We just happen to have three corners that play the man when they play the ball. There's different ways to play cornerback. You can play in phase, out of phase. You can try to you know play different leverages. And at the catch point, some corners have been taught most of their career, and they feel comfortable playing the ball in the air, looking over their shoulder. Some guys feel more comfortable watching the receiver's reactions and just trying to play more for the pass breakup and playing where the receiver's trying to catch the ball. You will see people do it that way when they are beat, but you also see great corners that are a step behind that also locate the ball and try to high point it before the receiver can. So it's just a comfort thing, and we just happen to have corners that are more comfortable playing the receiver than they are looking over their shoulder to find the ball. And I don't think it's any more evident than when you see Kendall Fuller. When Kendall Fuller can play downhill and the ball's in front of him, he looks great. He looks like he has fantastic He's ball great. skills. When you see him having to turn and play vertically, you rarely see him track the ball up over his shoulder for pass breakups or trying to pick it off. He's mostly playing the re- – not that he can't make good plays, but when he's going vertically, he's mostly playing the receiver rather than trying to play downhill to the ball. So it's just the way these guys feel comfortable playing the position. Yeah, that's it. Matt nailed it. I got nothing more to add. That's all of it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of just shutting up tonight, which is okay because I'm about <laughs> – yeah, this has been it's been a it's been a weird ten days for me. At Heisenbergler two asks, are the Chiefs bad at drafting defensive players, or just had more than their fair share of misses the last couple of years? 
it is very fair to question the Chiefs' defensive player evaluation at this point. I mean, Tano Passigno was a healthy scratch this week on a short week when the Chiefs' edge players were tired and knew that they were going to be on the field a lot. They had a three-man rotation, and Breland Speaks barely counts because he didn't play that many snaps. That's exhausting for those guys. That's inexcusable that a second-round pick can't find his way on the field, especially with the coaching that those guys are getting. On top of that, Breland Speaks this year doesn't look good. Derek Nottie, as we talked about earlier, is probably the prize of the draft class, and he's still a two-down guy. Dorian O'Daniel might fit in a different scheme a little better than he does here. He's still learning and trying to develop. He's definitely got speed, but as we saw this week, he still struggles in a lot of spots. He's still thinking too much, and he's he's playing a lot more with his head than he is with his body. It, it, they're, they're really, really lacking in developing defensive talent, and unfortunately, it's the spot where they need the most defensive talent. They can't afford to miss on these guys again if they want this defense to be anything resembling a league average defense next year. Yeah, and I think it's kind of hard to draw parallels from three, four years ago when we did have a different kind of unit of people drafting the players compared to just this one draft of the current regime. But it's something you have to look out for going forward. Is there going to be no progress? Like, what's the draft style? I think it's kind of hard to pinpoint right now what the current team and or current regime is going to do as far as drafting defensive players. I don't can't say I have super high hopes based on what we have seen in two thousand that of the two thousand eighteen draft class. But going forward, I mean, we just have to kind of play it by ear, really, because we don't know what their draft is going to look like on a year by year basis at this point in time. Right. And I think, I think they've had some struggles of value, like just the the current regime, I think has had some issues evaluating defensive talent in general, because if you look at the Anthony Hitchens contract, that was, that's, that's a major blemish at this point. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they've had some struggles, like even the current regime, it does not look super promising with their first draft. Um, but in, in just in general, like evaluating talent, but I'm going to answer this question and I'm going to sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth, but hear me out for a second. <laughs> At Heiserman, Dan asks, are you all as low on Brett Veach as I am? Questionable free agent signings and our D is worse off after an all defensive draft. We will miss Dorsey sooner rather than later. So it's going to sound like I hate Brett Veach. And the funny thing is, I still like Brett Veach and I still like a lot of his process. I think he's, I think his depth has been tested a lot to this point where, you know, guys like Austin Ryder, guys like Cam Irving, guys like Andrew Wiley have needed to step up and they've stepped up. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, look at Jordan Lucas. When Jordan Lucas was utilized correctly, I think. You know, I think he did some good things. I think he has value, and I think he's better than what Ron Parker is to this point. Um, so, like, I, I think, like, as I think Brett Veach's process is overall pretty good. I think that they were really behind the eight ball with draft assets last year, and they just they. I don't know if they panicked. I don't know if they over tried to overcorrect for some issues that they had from the 2017 season where they wanted toughness and they wanted run defense, and then they just completely whiffed and really didn't get the value. But I still like a lot of what Brett Veach's process is, and I really want to see him with a full complement of draft assets like he 
he will this year. Give him this year. This is a guy that does have credit for Patrick Mahomes. This is a guy that has credit for Fletcher Cox and LaShawn McCoy and a lot of good players. Deshaun Jackson under his belt. People give him credit for his ability to evaluate those guys. I still think he has it in it. I still think it has it in him. I think he's more than capable. And I do think a lot of his process has been good. It just hasn't looked great. And maybe part of that falls on how the personnel is used, Bob. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I need to add much more to this at this point in time. I will say that... Uh, this is a first. Right? No, my only thing is I, I'm i willing to give each more time. I'm, I'm with everybody else, though. His free agent moves so far, they don't align with how he seems to see football play out. He seems very modern, very much into high-profile electric right. offenses, and... On defense, he's like, let me get all these run pluggers. Let me get a bunch of guys that can defend the run when we're up by 20 points. I'm like, I just, I don't see the synergy he's bringing in the players for offense and defense. I don't see how they mesh together real well. And I know it's kind of like someone's going to go back with the time of possession argument because that's the way you beat the Chiefs. But at the same time, like, you just don't see offenses in the, the great offenses in the history of the NFL be paired with these great run stopping defenses. It's always. Turnover, <laughs> like tri- or t- good Great situation run defenses, stopping defenses. Get yeah, they're bad run stopping defenses. They get turnovers. <laughs> it's just it's a weird way to build a team, and I'm not sure I understand it yet. So I'm trying to give them a little bit more time to see what happens. But I want to see the defense match the offense. I want to see a modern, innovative defense that flies around the field, that plays with speed, not a bunch of big guys from the 1980s that are playing out of position. Yeah, uh, they they built a run defense that can't stop the run at all. <laughs> not even remotely. Cl- it does not matter who they stick opposite them. They they can't stop the run. Whether that was Jackson, they got or toughness, Gordon. Craig. Yeah, I, toughness, that's the Craig. other part of it. They're they're supposedly mentally tough, and they're not going to be soft. They're going to get these nasty guys out there, and then they're all standing around watching a tackle. Yeah, you know, the, the the mentality is just not there. So it does make you wonder if that's an organizational thing, if that's a coaching thing, that maybe some of these guys do progress in advance. Maybe Veach's assessment of some of these guys is correct, and they're just not being able to be put in the right positions to succeed. I would argue that his moves on the offensive side of the ball, the offensive linemen, the running backs that he brought in this year have looked fantastic fantastic in replacement of Kareem Hunt. Uh, Sammy Watkins has made the offense go when he's been able to be on the field. So I do think that on that side of the ball, on the more innovative side of the ball with the good coaching staff, we can all agree that's the better side. Those moves that Veach has made have looked much, much better than the ones that he's made on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll add, like, I was flying high like as before the draft, I was so excited because I was just convinced that Brett Veach was going to take a guy with like with tremendous value and he was going to be a guy that was just going to identify talent and really be able to stockpile some high ceiling guys. And, and then I was extremely disappointed on draft weekend as anybody that has followed me has known. But it, I, I do think like I still like a lot of Brett Veach's process and I loved Brett Veach's process before the 2018 draft. So I still think there's a lot of good there. It's still like it's uh, some of the defensive stuff doesn't make sense. And that's why I wonder, like, it just seems like, 
there's there's more to this story than just Brett Veach even on some of this stuff too. Like I think Bob probably shares some blame in some of this stuff that we're seeing, and I I don't know. Like not I, it, probably. It's, <laughs> <laughs> he does. I mean, it's it. Some things look like an overcorrection, and that might have been a mandate from Andy Andy Reid too. Like we don't know. Like there's there's still a lot there that like I want to give him more time. I know this guy can evaluate talent. He was first on Patrick Mahomes. He was very very early on Patrick Mahomes here. So but um, defensively, yeah, I think he, his guys have been Hitchens, Ragland, Breland, Speaks. Like we know for a fact that he was big on all three of those guys. All three of those guys kind of <laughs> fit the. <laughs> profile of the issue i know and that's that's why you know i just i don't understand some of it so like i'm still processing the 2018 draft and i still am scarred from it because i was really excited about it and then got very disappointed probably the most disappointed in a draft i've ever been but that's a different story and a different conversation but i do like brett veach and i I still have faith in him and i still think he he can pan out and do some really good things here just fix a few things at, at AJ Coleman. If you combine this year's offense with the 2014 defense, would that be the greatest chiefs team of all time? Oh man. A greatest modern chiefs team of all time. It'd definitely be up there. I actually like the 2015 defense a little better than the 2014 defense, even though, you know, the, the sack numbers were better in 2014. I, I do think that those two would complement each other so well. Good, great pass defense. Bob's best pass defense was in 2015 there. And coupled with the Chiefs' passing offense and ability to move the ball, I just think that the, those two together would have been fantastic together. They wouldn't have lost a game with those two. Yeah, I think if we get either 2014-2015 level defense with this current offense – you would have a team that would be Super Bowl favorites right now. And yeah, it would definitely be one of the best Chiefs teams of my lifetime. The offense is so dynamic to just have a defense that can make plays on any point at any point in time on any level would be fantastic. So yeah, definitely one of the better teams that the Chiefs have ever fielded if that was the case. I think it would be the best team of all time. This team is 11-3 with a just absolute... Strong shade at Lynn Dawson by Kent. Wow. Wow, that's a Hall of Famer that uh, you're throwing shade at, Kent. Well, I'm talking about a future Hall of Famer. I said it. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, really? Speaks is coming on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to go Hitchens. Dang. I, I I do have one question. Better defense. 2003 or 2018, go. 2018. I'm going to go 2018 because I think that the top end talent of the defensive players is better. Chris Jones probably- is so good. Chris Jones is so, so good, and so is D Ford. Correct. And I think that's what that, saves it for him. That is the correct answer. Good job. Both of you get 1,000 points. Awesome. Now Matt gets to answer a question for four and a half minutes instead of just four. <laughs> Ooh, let's go. Uh, last, last question. At Johnny Louder asks. This is a good one. It's a great question for me to Sa- go along on. Sa- please don't. <laughs> I'm trying to go. To, I'm trying to go to bed, and you're on. You're on Eastern time. Uh, at Johnny Louder asks Sammy Watkins and Kareem Hunt, who is missed more? Sammy Watkins Matthew. by a landslide. Kareem Hunt's fantastic football player. I think you kind of saw the Chiefs get in a rhythm with their running backs this last week against the Chargers. Both Damian Williams and Daryl Williams, when they got touches in the right ways, looked really good. They looked like they could do stuff. And while I'm not trying to say even combined, they're as good as Kareem Hunt. You can use a running back well enough if you're a good coach and innovative enough to make up for any gap in skill. It's just a matter of you have to work a little bit harder to scheme them into these positions. I have no doubt Andy Reid can continue to do that. 
That's something that has been no issue. Something that has been an issue has been trying to replace Sammy Watkins with Chris Conley. Chris Conley, outside of the Rams game, which I think is pretty clear looking throughout his entire career, is a massive aberration that is not likely to be repeated. It just, he happened to get open against a bad secondary or secondary that was playing poorly in a lot of zone coverages and had a huge game. Outside that, when he's been the starting second receiver, he's averaging two catches, 20 yards, and less than 0.2 touchdowns a game in Sammy Watkins' absence. As the number two wide receiver, I repeat, two catches, 20 yards, a less than 10 yard per catch average, and well less than a fourth of a touchdown. That is awful. And that is the second receiver. The Chiefs are actually starting to get Demarcus Robinson more run. They brought in Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, I'm not saying they're all related, but the Chiefs are having a hard time filling in a competent second receiver. And this is even talking about the fact that Sammy Watkins can actually beat man coverage. He, you can put a good corner on him and try to lock him down, and he can still win, and he's proven that this year. Instead, you're replacing with Chris Conley, who is averaging under 10 yards per catch, while Sammy Watkins averages 13. That's just a big drop-off. Sammy Watkins is averaging more rushing yards per attempt than Chris Conley is receiving yards per attempt or per catch. He has not been a good number two receiver. I think you're starting to see that switch as the Chiefs are keeping him in his same role. He might play more snaps, but he's still getting the same possession X wide receiver snaps that he gets when Sammy Watkins is on the field. They're just starting to use Demarcus Robinson as Sammy Watkins' role. Just they bring him on as the third receiver. It's been apparent that the Chiefs' offense is less consistent. The drive efficiency is worse. They average about five less points per game without Sammy Watkins. It's just not as good, and even more so, it's less consistent, and it's very obvious that is the biggest thing that has slowed the Chiefs' offense down the second half of the season. Yeah. Oh, uh, my. That, that was big. That was big. <laughs> that was like two and a half minutes. He really, he really did take those thousand points. He really did take it. And use good them Lord. immediately. I've been holding that one for a while. We heard a lot about how Sammy Watkins was overrated and not useful to this team. And then Chris Conley had a big game against the Rams. And like the world just about blew up for Chiefs fandom. And I was like, <laughs> take a step back. Chris Conley has not been a good number two receiver. He never has been. Let's be realistic. Let's be grounded here. They need to replace Sammy Watkins if they're going to have an elite offense or Sammy Watkins is just going to have to play. Yeah. Uh, the the part that I think the Chiefs are missing a little bit at the end of the game by missing Kareem Hunt, the only real thing that they're missing is somewhat of an ability to ice the game. Kareem tended to come up with some big plays in the fourth quarter. He tended to kind of push the, the offense over the line. I don't think that that's the same with Damian Williams or Darrell Williams. Uh, they're not the same talent, obviously, but the, the step down from Kareem to those guys is so much smaller than Sammy Watkins to Conley or D Rob or any of these other guys that the Chiefs keep cycling through to try and fabricate that, that sort of offensive output. When Sammy Watkins was out of the game, even with Kareem Hunt in the game, it didn't matter. The offense still slowed down dramatically. They weren't able to move the ball as well. So even with Kareem on the field, they felt the effects of it. Kareem goes out. The Chiefs are able to still kind of look the same that they did, even without Sammy Watkins and without Kareem Hunt. I think it's very clearly Sammy Watkins. I totally agree. I mean, uh, I think I've tweeted it out. I was doing some research 
I think the Chiefs are about four and a half points worse without Sammy Watkins. That's kind of been what they've been to this point. Um, so, you know, Sammy Watkins, he has a lot of value. I think um, I think everything is better when he's on the field. And uh, they're missing him. They're going to miss him until he's back. And I think what would have been nice about the Chargers game is you give him a little bit more time to come back if, uh, you know, if things go right. So it'll be interesting to see when he actually gets back on the field. Um, That's going to do it for this week. Thank you guys for listening. We will probably not be back next week during Christmas. Christmas, So I hope you guys have a great Christmas. Um, And uh, we will talk to you here in a couple weeks. Maybe we'll do something kind of before that next Tuesday. But I hope you guys all have a great holiday and we will talk to you later. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.